This podcast is sponsored by Murex. Murex has devoted near 30 years to the design, implementation, and evolution of integrated trading, risk management, processing, and post-trade solutions, leading to MX3, its third-generation platform. Driven by innovation and client partnership, Murex continues to play a lead role in capital markets, and more than 40,000 users around the globe rely every day on the MX3 platform for their trading, hedging, funding, risk management, or processing operations. Murex, a passion for finance, a talent for technology. To find out more, visit murex.com. Hello, and welcome to a DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. Cyber risk has sadly become more commonplace of late, with incidents across various industries making headlines. So naturally, financial institutions are getting more concerned. In fact, in DTCC's recent Systemic Risk Barometer study, respondents cited cybersecurity as their top concern, with 80% of those surveyed rating it as their top five risk overall. With me today, I have Mark Clancy, Managing Director, Technology, Risk Management, and also Chief Information Security Officer, DTCC, and CEO of Soltra. Mark is going to shed some light on cyber risk itself and explain how market participants can better protect their data, systems, and organizations from cyber risk. Welcome, Mark, to the podcast. Hi, Julia. So firstly, as I've already mentioned, in the most recent study by DTCC, Cybersecurity was a top concern among respondents. I understand this was really a rise from 2014 as well. Mark, what is the driver behind this rise in the concern? And is this change really due to cybersecurity and cyber risk becoming more visible? Or are firms actually encountering real threats? So there's a few reasons that this uh, survey that we did uh, includes an increase in cybersecurity risk. And I'd say the two main drivers. One is there is more awareness and visibility. I mean, these are incidents that occur that you read about in the newspaper and on the nightly news, and they're not just happening in the back office of firms. And the second is that there's a plethora of attackers that are going after infrastructures, and they're not just trying to steal money, which is what our, the financial sector has been used to, but they're also trying to express political views, um, respond to world events, or cause other types of disruption because they have grievances against the financial sector or other parties. And the combination of all those has changed the risk profile. So it's not just monetary losses that we're concerned about. Going back to basics here, Mark, can you tell us a little bit first about what cyber risk is exactly and how it could impact financial institutions? Sure. So cyber risk, we break it down to essentially four main components. It's confidentiality, integrity, availability, and privacy. And in the information security circle, the confidentiality, integrity, availability, or CIA, as we call them, have been the main focus. You know, privacy is also part of this. And essentially what attackers are trying to do, um, so if I'm a criminal, I'm trying to steal information. It might be information used for a credit card transaction. It might be information used for a derivatives trade. And I want to exploit that information to basically put money in my pocket. And so in most cases, criminals exploit confidentiality. Other attackers, like what we call hacktivists, the other group, these are 
individuals who are trying to express a political view, like maybe they're mad about sanctions or maybe they're mad about stopping taking transactions for WikiLeaks or some website like that. And they're going to try and impact the availability of a system, right? So they're going to launch a denial service attack, try and knock it off the internet so it can't transact. Um, We've seen that happen against many financial institutions, retail banks, brokerage, securities firms, and exchanges. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to cause disruption. The other kind of attack, which has been less frequent but more concerning, are destructive attacks that really go after the integrity of the system. So they're trying to destroy the data and the underlying function. So this attack against Sony Entertainment Pictures um, last year is an example of that. There's been attacks in the financial sector directed towards banks in South Korea. And so when we look at the risk aspect here, you know, historically, we've, we've assessed the risk to be primarily confidentiality loss. Now we had the addition of denial of service attacks, which impacted availability. And most recently, you're seeing these catastrophic attacks that impact integrity. I also mentioned privacy in the beginning. And if you can't ensure the confidentiality of an integrity of data, then you can't ensure the privacy. And so there's an additional piece here, which is ensuring that the data that's maintained by an institution is protected from disclosure and used for the appropriate purposes. And that's both an inward view of how you do it as the institution and outward view of how you protect external parties like criminals or hacktivists or cyber espionage actors from taking the information and using it. What are some of the secondary risks, such as reputational damages, that a firm might encounter? Yeah, there's a few additional risks. I think one of the more interesting dimensions is every problem now is assumed to be a cyber attack. So if I'm running a market infrastructure or my corporate website and I have an IT problem, the very first thing that somebody's likely to tweet about it is that, hey, Institution X is under a cyber attack because their website's offline. And it could just be because, you know, the proverbial power cord get kicked out. So kind of the response in the public sphere in this space is assume a cyber attack first and figure out what happened second. That said, there are also consequences from cyber attacks, right? So if you had data stolen that led to your customer being impacted, other customers are going to be concerned. And it's very common that when you investigate an incident, you do not understand the full scope. So, for example, the Office of Personnel Management in the U.S. had a breach. It was widely reported in the media. They came up with a figure of it impacted X hundreds of thousands of employees. A couple weeks go by, and now it's several million. Unfortunately, this is very common because doing damage assessment in an incident response is quite difficult. It's very hard to tell what somebody stole because the copy of data that they stole, you still have. And so reputation in terms of how you manage your response to the incident, not just what happened, but how you respond to it can produce very different effects, both towards reputation of your brand, as well as, you know, whatever intersection you're going to have with your regulators as you describe what your responses to that particular issue were. So looking at how to approach cybersecurity, Mark, do you think that the industry as a whole should be focused on addressing cyber risks? Do you think also that maybe some regulation might come out of this new concern to, you know, for instance, require firms to introduce measures to protect themselves better? So there's several parts to that question, which I'd like to decompose. So yes, the industry must work cooperatively. And so what we've been very good at, particularly in the retail financial institution space, but it's spread to other parts of our industry, is sharing information about what cyber attackers are doing. And sharing information in this space is, you know, sort of the market data of the cybersecurity domain. And so if I can tell someone what an attacker is doing, 
I can increase the attacker's cost because they have to go out and come up with a new way to attack me. And if I can use standardization automation as a defender, I can reduce my cost to defend. And if I'm informed of what the attackers are doing as one part of my capability, I can be much more agile and nimble in my response. And what we've done in the financial sector is we've approached this as a community defense problem. Because if somebody attacks me, they're probably going to use the same attack against you. And if I'm the first victim, I'm able to tell you as a potential victim what to look for and how to get in front of it. You can be much more effective at stopping it from being effective. So that's one piece. The second piece, and this is where the regulators have been more active because it's less operational, transactional, is making sure that your infrastructure operates under tight governance and what I call high hygiene. And so there's research done in Australia by the Defense Signals Directorate, and they found in looking at government intrusions, if you did four things well, you would stop 85% of the intrusions from succeeding. And those four things were patching systems, patching applications, removing administrative rights, particularly to workstations, and then whitelisting software so that only known approved software is actually able to run on your systems. And if you could do those four things, you can make 85% of your problem go away. You combine that with information sharing, and now you have a much better chance of defending against these attacks from having their end game. You're still going to have people get into your network. They're going to you know, get through the first lines of defense, but you can potentially thwart the, the significant impacts and mitigate problems more quickly. And what I think regulators are doing is they're encouraging firms to belong to communities where they share information about cyber threats, which is very positive, not implementing rules and structures around that, but focusing their efforts and the rules making side on what I call the basic hygiene of making sure the control footprint that institutions have and the governance and reporting they have to their management, to their board is sufficient to understand the risks they face and make sure they have sufficient countermeasures. And then working with this sort of more transactional data about this is what cyber attackers are doing from the community perspective. So you mentioned those four measures. Mark, do you think that most financial institutions already have these measures in place? The challenge is all of them have them in place. The problem is how high is their performance against them, right? These are all things that have been well-known in the security industry for a while as good things to do, but it's really getting that rigorous focus and approaching it more as a quality measurement problem than a security problem. How do I get my conformance and my hygiene to 99.9% as opposed to which a lot of infrastructures are 80, 70, you know, 70, 80, 95%. And so what you see in the leading institutions is they've made a focus to drive within their organization and they're reporting to management up to their board what their performance is on those measures with the goal of getting to a very high level of maturity. That said, no one is ever 100% because the IT environments are so complex. There are so many moving parts you always have things, what I call inflow and outflow. So every second Tuesday of the month, if you run Microsoft systems, you get a new wave of things you have to go address. And so there's always some backlog. The key in this is having that backlog as minimized as possible and having the whole company focused on routine and periodic maintenance to keep those things at high performing levels, not perfect, but high performing. And what I found when you talk to the more mature institutions is they focused on that. When you talk to institutions who are less mature, they have a program, but they don't really have measurement, telemetry, and instrumentation, and they're not reporting through their management chain exactly where they are on a weekly or monthly basis. 
What are the main actions that you think financial institutions should really take on board to guard themselves against cyber risk? What are kind of the main elements of a cybersecurity plan? Yeah, a few things. I mean, assume a breach, right? Assume that there's someone in your environment and operate your day, you know, your daily life like there might be somebody poking around. That change in mindset will help you. And you have to then engage in what we call active hunting, which is don't wait for some system or alarm to trip that says, hey, this thing happened. Go through your environment, look at what's occurring, take that knowledge you have about what attackers are doing and go basically query your environment to see is, hey, is this going on? All right, so that's the second thing. The third thing is recognize that you are going to have an incident you're going to have to respond to. And that response plan needs to include both technical aspects of how do you deal with the intruder in your IT infrastructure, but also the business management and crisis aspects, making sure you have an incident response plan, that you've tested it, that you've drilled it. That plan includes your general counsel, your public relations folks, your regulatory relations folks, and your executive management. And essentially tabletop these things if you are lucky enough not to have incidents. So you know how you're going to respond. And it sort of goes back to the military quote where, you know, planning is essential, but plans are useless. You want to make sure that you have that muscle memory institution of how you respond to an incident. So you're not trying to figure it out at three in the morning over the weekend when it happens. So we have an audience here at DerivSource of risk operations, data and compliance professionals. Mark, what advice would you give them in terms of ensuring that they can take actions immediately to protect them and their data from cyber risk? So I think one thing I forgot to mention earlier is it's very important to recognize that everybody in the company is a sensor, right? So everybody's a human detector of these kind of attacks. And the reason I say that is through research, and Verizon did a study about breaches they investigated, and of advanced attacks, I think 91% of them started with what's called a phishing attack, where somebody sends an email to some employee in your company, it could be a senior person, it could be a junior person, and tries to get them to click on a link. And that link then installs malware, and it provides a foothold for the attacker to get into the inside of your infrastructure. And so when you look at the operations area or the compliance team or risk teams, these are all people who run inboxes. They get email. They deal with the outside world. They can be part of that sensor community to make sure if you see it, you report it to the security team for investigation. Leading companies also test their entire teams. So they send out messages that look like phishing attacks. And if you click on the link, then you get a little training video and it tells you sort of what you did wrong and how to be more resilient to that in the future. And I think all parts of the company can help in that space. The other side is you need to also look at what information do you post in the public domain about your persons who work for your company, your individuals, because the bad guys are harvesting that information, using it to make these phishing attacks more compelling. So if they know you're a member of some society, professional group, they may you know, create an email in the context of that group and send it to you so it looks like, oh, well, maybe I should respond to the survey. And so having all of the teams in the company who you know, sort of engage in these things internally and externally and making sure you have a place where you can consolidate the reporting of those events so that the, team, the security team can look at it and respond to them um, will help quite a bit. Thank you, Mark, for sharing your insight with us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Julia. If you would like to see the transcript of this podcast, please see our podcast notes page on DerivSource.com. The podcast is also available via iTunes or the free DerivSource app. This podcast is part of a Risk podcast series we're hosting this summer. So tune in every other Wednesday for more insight on risk-related topics. 
And if you have a risk-related question or would like to suggest a topic, please let us know by emailing us at editor at derivesource.com or by commenting on the podcast notes page. Thank you for listening. Join us next time. Mm-hmm.